Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. This is the Real Estate Podcast, the intersection between the latest trends in real estate and its impact on our everyday lives. We're your hosts, Alex Norman. And Jamie Blonde, and you've come to the right location. The real estate starts now. In today's episode, Financial Sunbirds, we explore the intersection between real estate and the recent migratory trends of professionals in the financial world towards Florida. Today's guest is Jean Jose, the Chief Investment Officer at Glass Bead Capital Management. Jean has been serving high net worth individuals, family offices, and institutions for 15 years. His area of expertise is managing portfolios by carefully assessing risk in a constantly evolving market environment. Jean, welcome to the show. Welcome to the show, Jean. Thank you, guys. Thank you for having me. So tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, I, uh, I actually came uh, to, I moved to Miami in uh, 2019. And uh, before that, I, I lived in Manhattan and New York City for thir 13 years, where I worked on Wall Street, uh, as a, started as a financial advisor with the Royal Bank of Canada. And uh, before that, I went to college in California. And then before that, I grew up in New Jersey. And before that, I was born in France. So I've been a little bit all over. But here I am today in uh, sunny South Florida in Miami, and I'm happy to be here. I, I love that, John. Uh, so thank you for joining joining us today. So you know, people move around you know for different reasons, but locations have uh, always been pretty important for certain industries: Silicon Valley for tech, Hollywood for film, and of course New York for finance. But today the world has changed. Uh, people can live and move um, wherever they want. And I can't wait to unpack that. But John, you know, I want to start by getting a little bit about your background. I know that you you lived a bunch of places. How did you get into finance? How important was New York for you when you get when you got started? Well, for me, it's a bit of a unique situation because I actually have come full circle in the sense that um, after I graduated college, I actually came to South Florida for a little bit. And I had a friend who was in the financial industry, and he sort of opened the door for me. So it turns out that I was down in South Florida for a few years before I moved to Manhattan. And you made uh, the reverse re commute. But the reason I moved, <laughs> you made the reverse. That, yeah. That's that's right. But the reason, but what's interesting is the reason I moved there was because I felt um, if I was going to be successful in finance, I would have to be in New York City, not in Florida. This was 2006, mind you. So uh, it was the right move at the time to build my career. And 13 years later, I find myself right back here. So, but times are different. You make a great point, Jean, because uh, I always got that same impression as well when I started in the street. Uh, and I started in a regional office in the Boston office for First Boston, which was actually headquartered in New York, as were all the major financial institutions. And everybody said, if you want to have a successful career, you have to spend some time at the head office. You have to be in the heartbeat of uh, America when it comes to finance, and that's New York City or London or Tokyo, one of those three in those regions, because you had to be where you could interact with other people, where you could be viewed and seen and your work was seen and your success was, 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 was noticed. Uh, 
uh, where you could learn from the people next to you, where you could where, where rooms were not cubicles or offices, but tr large, massive trading floors where everybody saw what everybody was doing and you were incentivized to work harder because the person next to you was working harder or was more successful than you. And so you had to be in New York. That's no longer the case. You don't feel that anymore, do you? Well, well, funny you mentioned that, though, Jamie. You said Boston. <laughs> I mean, what, because I started in Boston, but I had to move to New York, and I, was, I spent 25 years on and off in New York City uh, because uh, that's where the head offices were of most of the offices, yeah. John, what do you think about that? Do you think that still holds today? Would you, if you were the same age as you were back then, today, do you, would you feel just as strongly that you wanted to start in New York? Well, I have to think about that, and the reason is because those are still the financial centers. However, however, there are major financial institutions that are um, moving either headquarters or major offices down here to Miami and Fort Lauderdale. So it is evolving down here, but I would still say to start a, a career in finance, I would still say you would need to be in New York City. And then later over time, the option to move as you've established yourself becomes easier now that these organizations are building beachheads here in the South. That's right. So if you have uh, experienced people who are willing to um, manage and take people under their wings and they're developing um, branches and so on and so forth, then, then, then that could certainly be a possibility that that it could work um it's it's just it's still too soon to be able to know for certain um because it's only been like really in the last few years that this is uh that this has happened in certain some of the big institutions um one of them being Mil millennium i know has moved a major office down here and i'm hearing that there's a lot of empty desks so it's still a matter of time whether they get these filled up and people are really going to you know, you have to convince people to already get back to the office. That's the first step, because I think a lot of people are still working from home. So I think that that's an impediment to uh, to young person's um, financial career and finance, because working from home is just not going to be uh, conducive to growing. So why why Southern Florida? I mean, what is it? Is it the weather? <laughs> is it the taxes? Taxes? I mean, uh, what is open it economy is drawing financial institutions and people down to Miami? Well, I think my South Florida has always been uh, a destination for, uh, for successful, I think successful entrepreneurs in finance that had already established themselves in New York City. Uh, they wanted to live half the year down here because of the climate, the taxes, so on and so forth. So if you were already established and already successful. You could have one foot down in South Florida, but still have one foot in, in New York City. And, and that's been the case for decades now. Okay. And then because of the pandemic, I think those people with one foot in New York and one foot in Florida just decided, you know what, I don't need to have a, a full foot in New York, I can just have both feet in, in Florida. And, um, and I think that's, that's, that's what we're starting to see. But again, it's coming from I think people that have already established themselves already have a successful career and are not dependent on being part of this so to speak culture where they're where they're constantly like thriving in, a, in an environment with a lot of other people i'm not so sure that miami has 
Well, you make a great point about uh, COVID and people still being at home, whether it's New York City or anywhere in the country, and how difficult it is to progress when you're young and starting out if you don't have the people around you to learn from, to uh, to emulate, uh, to be taken under your wing, to go for help, uh, to, to, uh, to admire best practices that other people are doing and learn to do them yourselves, etc. On the other hand, with technology, someone like yourself can be anywhere in the world and do a terrific job for your clients with great results because you have at your fingertips now technology that we used to only have if you were at the desk in New York because you only the firm could afford to have it, right? That's right. That's, a, that's an excellent point. So. I don't want to get too bogged down with somebody starting because that was your original question. Somebody's just starting the industry. I think they still want to be in an area where there's a lot of people. But once you're established, again, you can be anywhere in the world. And that is true. Whereas before, you kind of had to be in these financial centers. Um, it, sometimes it was just for the reason of just saying that you, were, you had an office there and you were actually working there. I don't think that that's so much an issue anymore. Uh, it really doesn't matter as long as you're doing your, a good job for your clients or uh, providing the service. So that's one of the big advantages. And I think that's one of the, well, that was a reason for me that I moved down here because I realized I could do the same exact job, uh, here that I could in on wall street. And I think a lot of others thought this way as well. So I'm sure that's the case for most industries right now that people can, can work remote and they've got the technology to be able to do that. Um, but I'm in advertising and I know very little about the financial world outside of what I've seen in movies. <laughs> and so when I see these movies in Boiler Room, I think just, you know, people eating lunch at their desks, uh, constantly on the phone, yelling at each other. Yes, the, yes, and yes. <laughs> and that's sort of the culture. <laughs> so what is it about specific to finance that makes the remote opportunity uh, both maybe beneficial or or a pariah? I mean, what it, what's the pros and cons of being in finance and working remotely? Well, it depends. It depends what your what part of finance you're doing. I mean, if it's if it's back office, your operations, something along those lines, you can be remote. But if you are in front office and you're in, uh, you know, you're an investment banker or you're a trader or whatnot, I think it's hugely beneficial to be in an office with other people around you that you're going to learn, thrive from, feel the pressure. It's just, um, I, I, I just don't see that you can really get around it, um, uh, at, least, at least initially to learn. Um, I would agree 100%. You know, I would even say, I even think you dress business think business, do business. I, w I was even a proponent of keeping the suits when during the dot-com bubble, uh, everybody moved away from suits because the people didn't want to wear suits. So they were leaving the industry to go to the dot-com industry. So in order to enti entice these young kids to stay, they were allowed to take their, you know, their suit off. Um, and, and at Lehman Brothers, where I was at the time, um, we did that as well. Finally, one of the last firms to do so. And as soon as the dot-com blew up, uh, we went right back to suits four days a week. And I think to your point, I think everything whether it's the environment, your thought process, the technology, the people around you makes a big difference in, in, in how well you can do your job in finance. Yeah, absolutely. And again, it depends on what kind of job we're talking about here. But if it's something that requires, it's, it's very high pressure, which would be like a trading desk or a sales desk, 
you, you, you need that energy. And I think you lose that energy when you're just, you know, behind a, uh, a camera or something along those lines. Even myself during the whole pandemic, uh, my office in downtown, my office in downtown uh, Miami remained open through the whole pandemic because there were essential workers in my building. And um, I went to the office every single day. I never worked from home. And the reason is because I came from New York City where I would put on a suit every day. And that's just how I knew how to, how to work. Even though I had an option, I could have stayed at home, but it's just that mental state of getting dressed up for work every day, going to work, getting into the office, and just only focusing on, on just the job at hand. So once again, this is now because I'm not in the industry, but you know, we had a, a guest on the show who was in medicine and he um radiologist in fact and he could do a lot of his work remotely because he was being sent um x-rays from different parts of the world and he would sit in his his uh you know his uh, home office analyzing everything when i think about finance i think about trading i think about day traders who sit there at their homes with like eight screens and are doing stuff um by themselves all day long but of course it's an industry and that's not just uh that's just one one small part of it and, and then i also see other industries like advertising um in some cases like real estate where there's a component where you're sitting in a desk and, and heads down there's also a component where you need to go out and schmooze and talk to people, have dinners, and that's also part of the job. And that also makes you money. And these are the things you just can't do via Zoom. And I want to get an understanding of like how much of that is part of finance uh, versus sitting in the you know sitting in your in your apartment, heads down, looking at screens. I think a lot of that has to do with whether you're the sell side or the buy side, right? Because like, for example, I was in sales. So part of my job was entertaining on the buy. John is on the buy side. He's actually managing money, helping people improve their, their assets over, over time. He, he doesn't have to go to the entertainer. He could, but it was really part of my job in sales, uh, to get, to get more people to, to build relationships. You had to get them out of the office. So I, we just talked about being in the office all the time. But you also want to get the guy, you want a relationship out of the office. Jean, here in Florida, do you, do you see that kind of entertaining or getting together of financial people as much as you saw in New York or no? Oh, yeah. I mean, I would say compared to, let's say, 10 years ago. It, there's way more of that happening here in, in, in Miami than there's ever been. So the financial culture is is definitely growing down here. There's no doubt about that. And I'm seeing more and more um, outings and business meetings and, and uh, all the different hotels and restaurants and bars, um, networking events. Absolutely. I mean, this is this after New York, Chicago. I would say Miami is now like a real financial center now. It's 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 getting there. It's not on the same scale as those cities, but and Boston. But I would say it's it's probably it's getting there. It's definitely getting there. Um, I can feel it when I'm, especially when you're downtown. And downtown was like nothing ten or fifteen years ago. So that's evolved tremendously. Before we continue with the show, I wanted to talk a little bit about Noom. Noom uses the latest in behavioral science to empower people to take control of their health for good. Through a combination of psychology, technology, and human coaching on their platform to help millions of users meet their personal health and wellness goals. 
A lot of people face pressures to change themselves to fit other people's expectations, and the more freeing solution is to find things that work for you. Noom understands that everyone's weight loss journey is unique, and what works for someone else doesn't mean it'll work for you. That's why Noom's approach adapts to your lifestyle. It's flexible and focuses on progress, not perfection, allowing you to work towards goals at a pace that's comfortable for you. Noom Weight makes it easy to start your weight loss journey and stay on track with personalized lessons to help you gain confidence and practical knowledge, one-on-one coaching, and a cognitive behavioral approach that teaches you how to be mindful of your habits. 75% of Noom Weight users finish the program, and more than 60% of users that engage with the program kept the weight off for a year or more. So start building better habits for healthier long-term results. Sign up for your trial at Noom.com slash believe. Again, that's Noom, N-O-O-M, dot com slash believe, B-L-E-A-V. We can't have someone like you on in these turbulent markets without at least getting your thoughts on how are you surviving? I mean, every day is whipsaw left and right here. I don't even want to look anymore. How, how, do, you, how do you handle all that? Huh, well, that's a loaded question, Jamie. <laughs> so I've been doing this for 17 years. So I've, I've been through uh, quite a few uh, downturns in my day, one being the great financial crisis of 2008. But I will say that this is probably the next worst one we've had to deal with. And uh, this is just really, there's several reasons that we're experiencing this, but the main culprit was the fact that the Federal Reserve um, pumped an incredible amount of money into the financial system to the tune of $7 trillion. $7 trillion, wow. $7 trillion. So the problem now and the market has to discount this, is that uh, the feds need to unwind this incredible amount of stimulus because uh, we were on the path of depression. So they had to do what they had to do. And uh, they could have, in hindsight, it was an error to, to not tighten sooner. So now it's, we're kind of having to pay back a little Yeah, the faster. horse is out of the barn kind of thing, right? Right. So the reality is, this is just, again, this isn't like a 2008 where we have a, a, a full-on credit crisis. So this will work itself out over time. And I don't see this as, as, as being necessarily something that's going to take years and years to, uh, to work itself out. But uh, for now, we're in a situation where, again, the Federal Reserve is, is going to forfeit the stock market in in order to rein in inflation, okay? And we haven't had inflation like this in decades. So as long as that persists, and I happen to think that it will persist, these are gonna be very, very difficult times for uh, for stock investors. But um, there's always something, there's always light at the end of the tunnel. And so the feds will achieve their goal at some point of reining in inflation. And when that happens, there will be some tremendous opportunities. So you always want to stay open-minded and uh, take advantage of what could be, like I said, one of probably the best opportunities we may get in a, in, in a decade to uh, buy some long-term companies. You know, when you have a bad day in New York, you, you get on a plane, you go down to Miami. <laughs> <laughs> when you have a bad day in Miami, where do you go? I mean, where, 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 Puerto you go Vallarta. To the beach. <laughs> you go to the beach. 
<laughs> well, that's that's the beauty of Miami. That it's true. You just uh, there's so many things to do outside. You can you go out on a boat. You go to the beach. You go play some golf. You go play some tennis. You go lay out by the pool. I mean, you go hang out with your friends, bars, clubs, uh, restaurants. Gives you this a chance is, to unwind a little. Huh? I mean, this I've been coming to this city for 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 decades. Okay, from New York and New Jersey. And I have to say now that now that I live here and I've seen the evolution in Miami, this is about as good as the city's ever been. So in the sense that there are multiple areas to go and explore, there's more culture, there's way more different kinds of backgrounds of people, and uh, and and there's opportunity. There really is. So I think it's a wonderful place. We're very lucky to live here. I think we've gone from what was a vacation and a real estate destination to real industries, real growth, like a real city here now, real infrastructure. Now we have a parking problem and a, and a, and a, and a traffic problem, but that comes with growth and that'll fix itself. Getting back to your comments on the market, uh, you know, we had a once in a century pandemic and we came out of that and everything looked like we were finally going to be okay. What else could go wrong? What's the once in a century? I'll tell you what, a world war. And all of a sudden we got war breaks out in Europe just when things were finally getting better. So, so to your point of inflation, part of the reason we're having inflation is a, the Fed, and B, the supply chain problems we're having, right? There's a lack of goods, too much money, not enough goods. And, and, and COVID started that, and the war has exacerbated that. Do you see that supply chain issue resolving itself anytime soon? Uh, well, anytime soon, not necessarily, but I do, I do believe that by the end of the year, I mean, supply chain is, there's a lot of supply chains, right, in different industries and so on and so forth. So some will be alleviated sooner than others. However, be careful what you wish for, because the problem is, is that if orders and demand gets to a point where the supply begins to catch up and it exceeds the demand, well, that's how recessions happen. So that's what you have to be on the lookout for, is that this kind of, so to speak, uh, you know, we're, we basically, we, we have a supply problem right now, okay? But this could easily turn into just the opposite over time. A demand uh, problem. And it, could become a, it could, be, could become a demand problem because what happens is, I mean, think about it. If you, you know, you're selling, you, you have orders for widgets. You need uh, 10,000 widgets and supply chains are only giving you 3,000 widgets. Well, you're going to keep putting those orders into 10, you're going to give me 10, give me 10, give me 10. Finally, you're going to get your 10,000 widgets. But then maybe by the time you get it, the demand is gone and then you're stuck with all this inventory. So it's kind of like an overhang. And I think that that's probably what the market is telling us right now. That's why the market is, the S&P just clicked 20%, peaked the trough yesterday, um, down 20%. What it's telling you is that there's going to be a hangover, okay? And, and, and it, I mean, we were partying like it was 1999. Uh, with technology stocks and crypto and housing and all this stuff. And now the Federal Reserve is, is, is taking the punch bowl away. And this, there's, there, there's a glut. There was a glut. And now there's payback. And so this is, this is the beginning of that part of the cycle. But these, this is normal. This is not unusual, uh, what, what we're experiencing. And we will get through this. And when we do, like I said earlier, there will be tremendous opportunities. But we're not there yet. This will take time. Well, you know, everyone has to settle with less, right? I think what this has all taught us, all consumers about the supply chain, is that we 
need to just chill out <laughs> literally I mean I ordered a um I wanted an iPad and this is a perfect a perfect example and I went to apple.com and I can't get my iPad delivered for three months and now I'm thinking to myself well do I actually want an iPad <laughs> maybe not and so I'm now saying I'm, I didn't put in the order because I don't I don't want to wait three months and so now I'm just going to do without it and I think a lot of people are going to do without the thing that they wanted because things were so good and and hey who doesn't need uh an ipad an extra screen on your table but now we're thinking twice about it because the supply chain is an issue so i i totally get that the one thing that i also uh heard you both you and jamie you were talking about is just this notion of sort of miami becoming the next the next city and i i always hear this people complaining about traffic and people complaining about all these things that big cities have. I mean, there isn't really a big city in America that doesn't have a traffic problem, but yet people complain about bad traffic in Miami. They don't think it's going to become a big city because the trap. So I, I just find a lot of contradictions all over the place. That is just, is, I think is hilarious. I'll tell you something about the supply chain. When COVID hit, um, someone gave me a great idea. Listen, you know, Jamie, you can't go to the gym. Why don't you order in some weights and some, you know, for, for your apartment? So I go online on Amazon and I right away, I order my weights and they don't come and they don't come and they don't come for weeks and it keeps getting postponed and then they can't find it. So I said to myself, you know what? I'm just going to cancel the order. How long can we possibly be dealing with this COVID? A month, two months, and then I'll be right back in the gym. That was March, 2020. I finally got the weights. <laughs> Thank goodness. <laughs> right, 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 right. Exactly. So that's so, so, you know, when everything shut down, there was no inventory because people couldn't make stuff. They couldn't send stuff. It wasn't. And now we kind of have the opposite problem. There's, there was this overabundance of demand, but it's starting to slow. It's starting to slow. It's getting to the point, and I think that's a that's a great example that you gave, which was that um, you know if I have to wait a couple months, well, do I really need this? How important it is. So so that's really something to keep an eye on, and I think it's the same with real estate, right? I mean, everyone's like, I got to get in. I got to I got to I got to buy. I got to buy. I need to I need to own this house, and I'll pay this, and I'll pay I'll pay above the S, right? But it's going to get to the point where people are going to be like, mm, you know what? Let me just hold off here. And I think that's going to be the case for, for a lot of things uh, from here till the end of the year, um, which is not such a bad thing. We need to get to normal. And that's what we're trying to get back to. Well, speaking of normal or abnormal, what about cryptocurrencies? I mean, it's Miami was the mayor was putting his name up, the crypto mayor. <laughs> and uh, we've seen, what, a 60% drop in the price of Bitcoin now? I mean, it's, uh, it's uh, wow. Talk about a volatile area. Yeah, well crypto in my opinion this is just my opinion so take it with a grain of salt is uh it's probably one of the greatest asset bubbles uh, of humankind comparable to the dot-com boom comparable to the tool bubble craze okay and it was incredible to see essentially people were selling things that was backed by nothing and pumping in billions and billions and billions of dollars but where was this this was mainly because once again, the Federal Reserve was pumping so much liquidity into the system that it just needed to get to somewhere. And one of those places it ended up was, was in crypto. And now that bubble's deflating, just like the dot-com bubble deflated, and just like bubbles before that. Um, it doesn't mean that 
crypto or blockchain doesn't have a future. I do believe it does. Just like when the dot-com bubble burst, it didn't mean that the internet was, uh, was going to be non-existent. However, unfortunately for a lot of in investors, um, I believe that almost most of these cryptocurrencies won't be in existence uh, in the next couple of years. So you're saying, are we talking about the end here? I mean, you talk about crypto in the past, <laughs> actually using past tense to talk about crypto. I mean, are we, are we at the end of the, at the end of the game? Are we just beginning the end? Where, like, where are we in a year from now? We're, we're just, I mean, it's like everything we've been saying, we, every, every, every asset got pumped up. Real estate got pumped up. Stocks got pumped up. Crypto got pumped up. Right. Use $7 trillion dollars in people's pockets. They had money to burn. Yeah. Well, it's actually more. Seven trillion was from this Federal Reserve. Then you had another uh, four or five trillion just from the federal government. And that's just in the United States. I'm not even counting in Europe and, and, and in Asia. So people had free money. That's essentially what it was. I mean, it was helicopter money. So people had to buy stuff. they like, let me buy, let me buy. I have all this money. Let me do something. Let me go shopping online. So crypto, crypto was one of those things that people were just like, hey, let me just put my money, watch it go up five, 10, 20, 30 X. So of course these things are not sustainable. And so we're on the other side of that. So just like stocks are going down, crypto is going down, used car prices are going down. I think eventually some hot real estate markets, I won't name them, will come down and then we'll get back to normal. Uh, and, 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 and normal is, you know, it's gonna be painful for some people, but again, it, it's not sustainable. And the Federal Reserve, because they control the money supply, that's what they're trying to do. They want to they burst these bubbles. And crypto is definitely, without a doubt, the biggest of all the bubbles. And so this will take time to deflate. And it's a point, a point you make that everything is interconnected, right? So they have extra money. They buy crypto. Crypto goes up. Uh, all of a sudden, you got these billionaire, crypto billionaires coming down to Miami, raising the price to real estate. Real estate prices go up. And someone sells his house for more than he thought. He has money. He goes and buys something else. It's like an endless chain. And just like you say, now we have to unravel the chain. And I guess there's going to be pain. So as we go through this pain, as we make our way through back to quote unquote normal economic outlook, any advice for people? At don't the end of the buy show? anything <laughs> <laughs> well from an invest from an investing perspective like i said there will be opportunities in the sense that you want to look for first of all any you want companies that are actually have earnings and that's what the market's going to turn it's it's already turning towards or companies that can actually generate cash flow you mean make generate money? earnings what? yeah actually make money <laughs> because a lot of these make companies money, make not money. making money you know, they were not profitable. They were just selling the dream. So now if, look, inflation doesn't just go away so fast. It's going to take time. So right now, we have an inflation rate of 8%. If you're not growing your money by at least 8%, you're guess losing what? Money. You're losing money, okay? Your purchasing power is dwindling. So you want to invest in companies that can actually generate earnings in an inflationary environment and that is something that i think will be a great opportunity from now through the next year or two or however long it's it's this process is going to take and there are companies stocks don't do so certain stocks don't do so bad in, in inflationary environments so that's where i see the opportunity you have to look at the big picture of think of this as a cycle okay we had we went from 
staring down looked like to be a depression when COVID just knocked that rocked the whole world. And we could have, we could have really gone into a really, really bad recession, but the federal government and the federal reserve and central banks all around the world pumped up incredible amounts of liquidity to stave off what would have been a global depression. Okay. And so we avoided the worst, the economy rebounded, but it rebounded to the point that now we have inflation, we have the opposite problem. And so now central banks are trying to reverse everything that they did to save us. And that is the pain that we're dealing with. It's a necessary pain. It's a necessary evil. But once we get through this, there will be some amazing opportunities. So I guess what you want to do is you want to be cautious, but at the same time, be opportunistic. And, and take advice from people who know what they're doing, like you. Jean, I want to thank you very much for coming on the show, uh, giving us a little bit of a feel for what it's like to be a financial snowbird and really appreciate your outlook uh, and your thoughts on what has been happening and what is hopefully going to happen going forward. And uh, uh, we wish you all the best with uh, with your performance with your fund. And thank you very much, John. I'm most certainly going to be leaving my money underneath my mattress after this conversation. But, um, but thank you very much. It's been a pleasure. Sure. Anytime. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. You've been listening to The Real Estate Podcast. Give us a quick review and rating on iTunes. Check out our website at therealestate.co and let us know if there are any new topics you'd like to hear us address. We love hearing your feedback. See you next week. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.